you the latest thinking and developments from the international B2B marketing space, this is BBN Mixtape. And mixing it up for us today is Ed Davis. Hello and welcome to BBN Mixtape. I'm your host, Ed Davis, and today we are joined by Michelle, I should have asked this before, Crawley. I am saying that correctly. Of course I am. Yes. Uh, PR director at Tricom B2B. Tricom B2B is one of BBN's North American partners, and we're really happy to have you on, Michelle. Um, I know that we've been trying to schedule this, and, and it's really been down to, to BBN and your host's fault for not having you on sooner. But how are you uh, doing today? Doing great. I'm really excited to be here, and thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're we're excited to be to have you on for a couple different reasons. Um, one, you're we're going to talk about content today. Today is, you know, we, we don't typically timestamp these these podcasts, um, but we are recording this sort of late into the year uh, in 2023, and and we know that teams are are to, they, this is the time of year where they find themselves planning out. Uh, the next year's marketing and their efforts and and the content. And we're going to talk to Michelle about that because um, she's got a little bit of best practice and and some things that I don't think a lot of people think about or or talk about um, when they're thinking through their marketing plans for the upcoming year. We're going to come on to that in just a minute. I think the other thing that's going to be interesting is uh, Michelle is a fantastic PR person. Uh, I am a not fantastic PR person, uh, but we're going to get, we're going to get her view of incorporating PR media relations into marketing, not something people typically think about or talk about as well. So, you know, without further ado, Michelle, I think one of the ideas, um, that permeates Tricom B2B, everybody I've come in contact with, um, is essentially you all collectively have this idea and this mantra of managing content on behalf of clients. Um, and I think one of the ways or sort of the ways that I interpret that is, or I think the way you all look at it is sort of treat it like a media company in terms of the content is, am, am I right? And, and treating it like a product? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, we do talk a lot about that. And I think you know, um, that's something that Robert Rose talks about a lot. And uh, a lot of us follow him and a lot of us agree with a lot of what he says. Um, and when we talk about treating content as a product, um, it, and it's really as important as that, we mean the goal is to create like a trusted resource center that people want to come back to. So you want to have alignment, standards, creation, management strategy with all of that. And whether you're creating for your resource center a case study, a webinar, videos, or interactive assets like quizzes or infographics, it needs to be useful. Um, its quality is going to be measured by the impact you have on the audience you're trying to reach. And we don't want to operate like an on-demand vending machine that just spits out content, but we want to create each piece with purpose, and we want to have it connect to all of our efforts and treat it as a functional part of the business. Well, and I think the, the 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 treating pieces with purpose is sort of the operative phrase there, right? I think a lot of clients, um, and by extension, their their agency support mechanism. <clears throat> this is going to sound more damning than I mean it to sound. You know, it's sort of fly by the seat of your pants. I think everybody has an oh yeah, we should create this or we're going to do a research paper and this and that and the other, but 
you know, at least in my um, experience, you know, it's, it's probably 15, 20% of clients who actually put a level of, you know, significant forethought in place around content is, is, is that similar, you know, I hold Tricom and that Tricom B2B and not that team in very high esteem. And I sort of got it in my head that you all do that probably better than most. Would you, would you, in terms of getting clients to think longer term? Yeah, we, we do put a lot of thought into the plan itself and preparing and, and our messaging and what we want to do. And um, what are those tools that we're going to put together for our clients and for their customers? I mean, there's a lot of planning and prioritizing that go into that. Um, you know, you could have one big container that's a white paper that you can use for many different things, but there should be a clear path and a clear purpose to everything that you're doing. And we take that really seriously. Right. And then a big piece of what it is that you all do, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize you all as, you know, an aid, uh, an advertising agency or anything like that. You all are far more diverse, far more talented, far more integrated than that. But you know, a lot of our clients, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, we know tend to focus on paid channels. How does that sync up with, from a content standpoint, how can we get more, you know, out of both, right? How can we leverage our content within our paid channels and vice versa? How do we think about developing content that will actually work within paid channels? Sure, sure. We are always thinking about our content in terms as, you know, how we can use it for earned, for owned, for paid and um, earned distribution like PR, of course, comes into play for brand awareness, but paid also does. And we also want to make the most of content by planning to distribute it in several ways. So paid distribution has the advantage of lead tracking, and it can help to drive people back to resource centers where I was talking about before, where everybody's where all the content lives. But paid channels can also help you get a more targeted approach with your content, honing in on those who are looking for information but maybe they don't know where to start. It really makes the organic content go farther with specific audiences. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then within that, one of our podcasts, as you, as you know, um, or well, you don't know this, but you know that we're coming up with a, it's a marketing campaign and, and this podcast in particular is going to be leveraged in that marketing campaign. And one of the first people that we had um, on a different episode or one of the people we had on a different episode talked about, and I'm totally going to catch Michelle off guard with this question. Um, so apologies, Michelle. Uh, but they talked about gating versus not gating. And, you know, we got into a bit of a spirited discussion around, you know, Mark as marketers uh, in, in somewhat in service to the sales team or, or, or in, in our um, quest to, to, to gather information and contacts, he postulated that as you know, marketers tend to overgate. Do, do you have a view again? I'm totally catching Michelle off guard with that. So I apologize, but it just, as you were sitting there talking through leveraging it and paid distribution and lead gen and stuff like that, how do you all, how do you all make that decision? You know, what, is, what are we going to gate? Because I, I know some marketers who, you know, they're gating infographics and you're like, well, what are you doing? I mean, that should be free, quote unquote. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the content and where it is in the buyer journey and where you're using it. I mean, for for me, since I'm I'm dealing in earned media, I am for not getting that content, right? Yeah. I I want to make it easily accessible. I want to build thought leadership with the content that um, my team is getting out there. And really, a lot of that is about building trust. And there are certain parts of the buyer journey where if you're overly promotional or you're trying to get all their information at once, it just turns people off. And I feel like it erodes your credibility. So um, I think that's it really depends on where and when you're using it. Um, for a lot of what I do, I'd say not gate. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. And, you know, he actually really brought me around. Right. And part of it was, and, and part of his argument is, you know, the, the newer company, the, the less well-known you are, mm-hmm. why the hell would you want to create any additional barriers to people learning about you or your products and services? And so, you know, it really started to make sense to me. Um, when you all are planning content, what does that process actually look like and how far in advance are you typically working? Are we literally talking, you know, months? Are we talking quarters? Are we talking, are in some instances, years? Well, mostly months and quarters. As okay. you mentioned earlier, it's, you know, we're nearing the end of the year. We're planning for 2024. So a lot of what we're planning right now is, you know, to be able to hit the ground running when the new year starts. But some things come, sometimes things come up a lot more quickly than that. Um, but what we're really doing in our planning is working with the sales and marketing teams on their goals and budgets. Like, what are the objectives? And then, to come up with that plan, we need to know about the audience. You know, it's helpful for us to interview subject matter experts at our clients or even about their customers and learn about their pain points. And that can take a little bit of time, um, but that will really give us the information that they're looking for and the value. Um, it'll help us know what topics to focus on to address customer needs. Um, should we focus on, you know, a couple of those, many of those? Where can we make the most impact? So we'll hold a lot of client workshops this time of year to glean that information that will support a a campaign and its content. And the workshops will also allow us to take a deep dive into our client's offering and what they want to accomplish. And then from there, we can determine the content that will support what we identified in the workshops in our discussions with the client. We can map it out. We can determine where it's going to be used and how it's going to be promoted and how it will be valued by the customer. Yeah, and I think there there's significant value in bringing the customer along early in that in that journey, right? Because I think a lot of times customers or clients, you know, we we talk to them about content. In fact, right before we started recording this episode, you know, I'm on a call with somebody talking about budget, and you know, we're 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 trying to talk up the budget around content, and they're like, "Well, you know, I don't know because we have this this challenge with our clients." And, and, you know, in terms of getting clients to participate, how do you get past that potential hurdle for those clients who have other clients that they need to participate in the content development, right? Because it's the use case, it's the case study, it's the, it's how their products or services are being used in the real world when there is a level of, I I don't know that it's the right word, but shyness or reluctance maybe on behalf of our clients, clients to participate in that. How do you get clients past that? Or how do you get them to participate? Is there, is there a trick? So you're talking about when clients um, have a customer that they'd like to include any use case, yep. that client is a little reluctant. That does happen a lot. You know, 
sometimes clients, customers have, um, have a lot of hoops that they have to go through in order to be able to participate. As you know, um, that happens a lot. Um, we can work with them to, you know, be a little bit generic about that and, and, you know, say a very large customer in this industry had this problem and we help them solve it. There are ways to get around that. Um, you just have to think a little bit creatively, um, but not let that hold you back and, right. and, and using them in a use case. Sure. So then as you're building, I think one of the hardest things that, that an agency can do is build a content budget. Am I, am I crazy? Cause I think it can literally be, you know, thousands of dollars all the way up to hundreds of thousands, if not more. Right. Right. How do you all tackle that? How do you all justify, how do you all justify clients investing appropriately? Like what's the, what's the conversation like around budget? I think a lot of that goes back to that content planning and figuring out what the long-term strategy is. You know, um, when it comes to doing the content marketing and the PR, those aren't one and done activities. Um, You have to map out how you can support your other initiatives as well and how it all works together in that strategy. Um, you know, in PR, we're, we're working with our editors and trying to place that earned content. But to supplement those initiatives, there are other things you could be doing, like trade shows and speaking engagements and paid placements. You have to have a budget to ensure that you have the resources available. So when those leads come looking for you, you're ready. And sometimes that is a bigger conversation about all the things that are going to be part of your strategy. Um, and, and you'll have to tailor accordingly. Um, if they have a big budget or small budget, you can make it work, but you just have to be very realistic about what you can do. So is there here another left field question that, that just prompted by something that you just said, is there a piece of content that under no circumstances is Tricom B2B going to build? What I mean by that is sometimes clients go, Oh, what we really need is this. And you sit, you sit there go, no, that's totally not going to work. Is there, is there a type of content anymore that just doesn't really resonate um, that you can think of? You know, because, you know, for a little while, infographics were the big thing, but I can't even remember the last time I helped a client pull together a true infographic, right? But 10 years ago, that <laughs> was the thing. If you could put together a really cool infographic around a piece of business or, or a service or something like that, you know, that, that was something that you could build all sorts of contributing content off of. Sure, sure. Yeah, not to slam the infographic. I think it can still work in in certain cases and depending on the industry and what you're trying to do with it. I wouldn't say there's something that we would be like, oh my gosh, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Um, I I, I can't think of anything offhand right now that I would say no, but... um, But I think you really have to have good conversations about what's appropriate and what works for your audience. Um, Not everything's going to work for um, a particular industry. No, yeah. That might be great in another, as you know. Yeah, no, no, no. You're 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 right to say that was very PR answer. Well done, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, right. So then, like I said, so so part two of this conversation. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to highlight around content, then I want to get into sort of, I want you to put on your, your, your PR leader hat here for just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
you'll know, and and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast because they sit firmly within the the marketing organization um, as 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 a as a as a as a function of sort of the focus of our organization or our collective partnership. PR, media relations, look, very few clients that I've been that I've had the the, the privilege to work with at least over the last decade. Uh, that I've been wholly focused on B2B marketing. Um, very few clients, you know, as part of a campaign plan or anything like that, at least say to the marketing agency's team, right, let's get the PR media relations team in here and talk about how we make sure that we're collaborating, that we're synced up, that they, that just doesn't really happen. I think you all find the same thing. I think you all are forcing those things to happen. Am I, am I right in that? Absolutely. Um, I think for a lot of clients, the easy thing is to do paid first. Um, that's something they can get an immediate return on their investment. You know, they spent this much, they got this many leads, they can track them, they can report it all very easily. And that's great. That gives them, you know, good results with the people that they're reporting up to. So that's their default, right? But I think a lot of clients don't realize that in building your brand awareness, PR is like such a huge part of that. And you're trying to build those relationships with your clients and you're trying to build trust. And that's not something that just gets done with paid. Um, It's, it's definitely something that PR and paid can work together in a positive way. Uh, Yeah. I hundred, but, but do you also see that I'm, I'm about to, to damn an entire industry unfortunately, or or condemn, I should say. Um, I I feel like more and more of what, you know, 10 years ago, you, me, or or some of your very talented uh, team would be pitching, like, you know, writing literally a pitch around a press release or a launch or an initiative and pitching that into media. Now, a lot of those come with some level of price tag, whether directly or is it just me or or am I am I, am I intimating something that 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 maybe doesn't need to be that way or am I, am I looking at it wrong are you talking about um sometimes when public like trade publications have pay to play yeah yeah I feel like that's that. more of what it is that we're you know what I mean yeah I don't I don't see a lot of that these days you do have it here and there yep um Certainly it helps if you're advertising, but, um, I I don't see a ton of that happening these days. Yeah. Good, good, good. So you see that, you know, there, there, there are efforts and there are a hundred percent as a reason to still have, you know, a great media PR team, like, like Michelle's team on, on your, on your speed dial for sure. So, so you don't see it as right. We're, we're going to run into some challenges around sort of earning some media around this particular yeah yeah no i don't see a whole lot of challenges there okay. and i mean we you and i had talked before about you know how just how this has changed um over the last five or ten years you know what's different and you know when i started out um in this industry for a lot of our clients we were we are doing quarterly custom publications for clients you know where yeah. we position them as experts in their industry and you know, those were great, but now we can get those same types of stories out digitally. Um, 
on our earned channels in blog format or in other ways. There's just so many different ways that we can do things these days to amplify thought leadership. We can do placements in social. We can work with executives on LinkedIn doing blogging. Um, we can place our clients as a guest on a podcast, like I'm on your podcast today, yep. or even work some of those influencer marketing relationships and social media. Those are things that we didn't used to have. Um, and that just gives us a lot of ability to meet people where they're at instead of, you know, in just one way. Yeah. And, and I exciting. think, yeah, it is. And I think one of the exciting areas, and we're going to talk about this in a future podcast, um, cause I'm, I'm quite certain even two, three years ago, this was not a concept that you would have been discussing in B2B circles, but the idea of B2B industry sector influencers and doing that level of outreach, you know, to me, a marketer isn't doing that. That is literally a PR person who is doing that type of outreach uh, around quote unquote social media influencers who are on the B2B side. Um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting concept. We do have more and more partners who are doing it. We do have more and more clients who are asking for it. Um, and, and I think it's sort of an exciting development within, within B2B marketing full stop, I would say. Um, last question, and then I'm going to get you out of here. Cause I, cause I know you've got a lot of other really great work to, to get onto call to actions, CTAs, Michelle, I feel like there's three. It's learn more, it's download this, it's contact us. I know I'm wrong. Tell tell me a different creative spin on CTAs or how somebody might want to look at it. Yeah, when you have a boring call to action <laughs> with your content, that's really a missed opportunity. You want to keep that momentum going. And your CTA should really complement your copy and spark interest and encourage action. Instead of saying, click here to lead to a video, maybe you should see, say something like, see the solutions unfold or something like that. You have to really think about what's going to resonate with your customer to get them to go on to the next piece of content. And you need to test it and see what works best. Um, you know, the, the, your CTA should create relationships um, and not just be all salesy. Yeah, no, I think look that you you said it far better than than I ever could. And and I think the really important part is for as much as you can, they should be reflective of who you are as a brand, your culture or or whatever your campaign might be, right? So, you know, how can you still, you know, that's still a branding opportunity in in right. in my mind is is that little bit of real estate and and those two, three, maybe four words and what you say around that is is a really important is a really important it's probably the most important thing that you might write as part of a, a piece of content in all honesty so right we're going to leave it right there that gives us a couple different opportunities to come back and bring Michelle back onto the podcast if she'll come on um, hopefully she will um, I really do appreciate you joining us and thank you to our listeners for tuning in if you find this episode and this podcast of value, please share it on social media, like us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love to get your five-star review. Um, and within the notes of the podcast, be sure to look for links to connect with Michelle on, uh, on LinkedIn and, and within social media as appropriate. Thank you and talk to everybody next time. BBN Mixtape is a production of BBN. Subscribe from your favorite podcatcher for episode transcripts, links, and more. If you like this show, 
give us a nice five-star rating. It's how you can help more marketers find us. Thank you, and we will talk in the next episode.